Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. So we've been walking our way through the book of James. It's real talk. It's gritty faith. This is where we are. It's where we are again today. James kind of, uh, uh, in a rhythmic way, kind of pulses in and out of very, very practical stuff. And then he kind of pulls up and goes, hey, let's think about this. And then very practical stuff. This is one of those very practical things. I was a speech major in undergrad. Um, there were other people at my university, including my wife, who studied real things. I studied speech, okay? Like, I mean, they had to study, and I was the speech major. Um, and uh, uh, one of the things that uh, uh, was drilled into us was a particular statistic. And, and this stat varies depending upon who you ask and which person and which theory and what all you include in the stat. But uh, the, here was the stat, that uh, X percent, this particular percent of our communication with others is nonverbal. Anybody want to guess what that percentage would be? 55? 75? Do I hear 100? No, just kidding. What? How much? Somebody from over here, just because it'd be fun. 90. Okay, so none of you are right. Um, but, 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 I, I want you to know that what was drilled into me was two-thirds. Two-thirds of our, um, of our communication with one another is nonverbal. And uh, the, the instance that I want to kind of put in your mind so that you grasp the importance of this is uh, holding up a baby who's been up all night. And you look at them and your face is pleasant and your smile is good and your tone, your tone is good. And you're holding that baby going, I don't like you right now. You kept me up all night. And you're doing this thing, this conversation with the kid, right? And everybody who might hear you talking to the baby like that knows exactly what's going on. The baby receives though love, affection, as they appropriately should. Uh, So um, when James today, and we'll see it here in just a minute, when James today speaks about the tongue or the way that we speak to one another, we need to set that in the context of the entire communication package, okay? Not just words that get verbalized out of our mouth, sounds that get formed, but instead the entire communication package. That's what we're after as we work through this here, okay? Um, and, and as we do this, I, I will just note here, I, I'm going to do my best to try to set, because James has got some pretty s- stark things to say to us today. I'm going to try to set the opposite of that beside it so that we have a picture of what can be. Here we go, James chapter 3. Not many of you, verse 1, not many of you uh, should become teachers, brothers uh, or sisters there, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says. He is a perfect man or perfect woman, a perfect person, mature person, able to bridle his entire body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by very small rudder uh, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So I just want to pause there before we track along with the rest of the... um, the rest of the passage. And and I want to talk uh, just two points. I mean, really, these two points are setting up the entire thing that James is trying to get to uh, in in this passage. But let's let's work through here. And the first one is the power. uh, That is the power of the tongue. Uh, The power of the tongue. How many of you, you can think about a specific instance or just kind of broadly, how many of you have had someone say to you something that has radically impacted your life? And you can remember it. Like you remember where, 
You remember when, you remember the look, you remember the shirt that guy or that gal was wearing or whatever it may be, right? It may be uh, something uh, really amazing and, and powerful. Uh, it's an I love you. It's uh, uh, your mind. It's something like that. It may be something much more detrimental. Uh, the test came back positive, whatever it may be. But there was a moment there where somebody spoke to you about uh, a particular topic and it drilled right into you. This is the power of the tongue. This is the power of the tongue. I'll give you an example from my life. I was 20 years old, getting ready to go on a mission trip. I did eight weeks um, on a mountainside in Ecuador. My mom, being my mom, threw a, a little going away party. And I'm like, I am coming back. Like, this isn't like, you know, like, it was, anyway, it's just, it's just a couple. Anyway, she did it. It's great. Um, all sorts of people came over and, you know, there were hamburgers and that kind of thing. And uh, uh, I, my high school basketball coach and I walked um, out to the car. He was one who came over, walked out to the car down the little sidewalk there, um, at our house where I grew up, and uh, he and um, his wife are getting in the car, and he turns and looks at me and says, hey, can I tell you something? Sure, coach. He said, if I, I just want you to know, if I ever had a son, I would want him to be just like you. I am now 49 years old. That was 29 years ago. And I can take you to the spot where that happened. I can take, I mean, I can tell you the look on his face. I could draw it out if I were an artist. I could draw it out for you. Why? Because there is power in the tongue. There is power in the communication that we give to those around us. And so he describes it this way. It's a little package and it has a lot of power, a lot. Look at the examples here. Uh, uh, let's see, we're going to start in uh, um, verse 3. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Do we have horse people in here? Any? There was nobody in the first service that was a horse person. We do live in suburbia. So, I mean, I get that. Um, but my, my entire experience on horses r really uh, deals with our week at family camp at Pine Cove. And you, you go and you ride a horse and it's great. Um, and the horses are very nice um, and they only uh, don't do what you tell them to do if, like, the saddle isn't cinched up all the way and you end up falling off, which is a different story for a different day. But it's not the reins that you jerk that makes them turn. It's not you leaning in the saddle one way or the other. It's a bit in their mouth. You, you know what this is? It's a little rod that they stick in their mouth. so that It's connected to the reins so that when you pull, it turns them. They don't like it. You know, when you jerk hard. So you pull and you turn. And th this, is, this is what he's talking about here. I am sitting on top of a majestic animal. And I am controlling it with a very, very, very small piece. Look at verse 4. Look at the ships also. They are so large, driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And so just think about this. Think about the ship channel out here. I mean, tankers coming in, uh, cargo ships coming in, all the stuff laden down with all this kind of stuff. I know we've got some Coast Guard folks in here. Just think about this. They've got all of this crazy, I mean, all of this tonnage that's out there. And what happens? It's a little bitty rudder. The story is told, um, the um, Bismarck, the German warship, the Bismarck, uh, sunk the HMS Hood, British cruiser, um, and then like hightailed it out of there. The British Navy started chasing it. Ultimately, what happened was the uh, there was a, uh, a British submarine that caught up uh, with the Bismarck and hit the rudder 
of the Bismarck with a torpedo. And so the Bismarck at that point could only go in circles. Well, it didn't take very long for the rest of the Navy to find it and, and then down goes the Bismarck, right? The rudder, it was what allowed them to be in, be in good shape where they were. And then when they lost it, it was gone. This is the power, uh, the power of the tongue. And even, even life and death, Proverbs says, and we'll pick up some of these Proverbs here in just a second, but even life and death, it says, are in the power of the tongue. And you think about a, a small um, village and how a rumor or an accusation or a blessing or a yes would change somebody's life in the course of that person's life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Here's a few more from Proverbs. These are all in the sermon notes. You can go online and find them later today. Proverbs eleven nine: The mouth of the wicked man would destroy his neighbor. Proverbs twelve eighteen: Rash words are like sword thrusts, and the tongue of the wise brings healing. So you, you have two options. Tongue of the wise brings healings, or your rash words are like the thrust of a sword. Proverbs 13, 3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Whoever opens his mouth wide comes to ruin. Ooh, that one's terrible, terrifying. Proverbs 15, 4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Anybody remember a tree of life? Was it a good thing? Yes, it was. But a but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs eighteen six, one of my favorites. A fool's lips walk into a fight and his mouth invites a beating. I just think it's funny. I mean, like descriptively hilarious. Uh, Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and tongues keeps himself from trouble. And Proverbs 29, 11, probably one of the better ones for our day and our age. It is a fool who gives vent to his spirit. I'm just venting here. It's a fool who gives vent to his spirit. Maybe you want to throttle back on that a little bit. So, and I just, I just picked out seven. I mean, just a few here from the farmers, and we could have gone most of the day talking about this. Um, it's a little package with a lot of power. And to, um, you know, the, 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 the great lesson learned from the amazing Spider-Man is with great power comes somebody... Great responsibility, okay? This is where we are. With great power comes great responsibility. And so uh, here's why this is really important. This is true for everybody here. It says in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways, so no one is exempt from this. Um, And let me just ask this this particular question here. Maybe, um, Maybe it's helpful to start on the personal level. Um. What story do you tell yourself? Like, wh- what is the, the, the background music, if you will, of your life? What, what, when you look in the mirror, what, what story are you telling yourself? About who God is, about who God has made you to be, about the things that you bring uh, to the world, about the things that are true in your key relationships. What story are you telling yourself? Because I'm not saying it'll change everything immediately. It may not change anything at all, but at least you'll be, uh, it, it may bring the, the truth um, and the transformative power of God to bear on that. It's such that things can begin to change. Let's start with you. And the reason that's important is because Jesus in Matthew 12 uh, verse 36 says this, for every, uh, on the, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for, do you see that up there? Look at it. For every careless word they speak or type or post. We will stand and give an account for every careless word 
every careless word. That's kind of on the personal level, right? Uh, Let's let's pull it up a little bit here and and read in some of the context here. Let me set it up this way. the other couple of weeks ago, uh, we have staff meeting on Tuesdays. A couple of weeks ago in our uh, Slack channel, um, somebody posts, says, hey, it's glorious outside. Let's have staff meeting outside. And I thought, this is a great idea. Let's go. So we did. We had staff meeting right out here um, uh, underneath the trees. There's glorious day. I mean, just a cool breeze. Wonderful. We prayed together. Um, we are reading a book together. So we're learning together. We're working through the agenda, just items that are on everybody's plate. We kind of go around the circle, make sure. But, and it, there comes a point where a minivan pulls up and the lady gets out and starts walking up. She sees us sitting there. The lady gets out uh, and, and walks up. And, and I think, well, this is, I mean, you know, does she need something? Does she want to leave something? Is it a mom of a kid that I don't know, like, what's going on? So she walks up and she says, Hey, I'm here to tell you something. And she starts passing out these cards and it says, Christ is a woman. No kidding. She says, um, I just want you to know that, that Christ is actually a woman. And she going through this whole thing. And so she's, this is the fullest revelation of God. And she's giving out this thing. And not just that, but just so you're clear, this is the woman that they're talking about. Like Christ is this woman. Her name is Lisbeth, and there are um, websites and that kind of thing, which we won't publish, but because it's it's not. But but here's the idea that this this particular person has bought into, has lived into this kind of mentality that says this: this lady is the revelation of God, and we don't need anybody else. Now, church family, that is crazy. That's a cult. This, this is the kind of thing that we're talking about, and this this is why James says in chapter three, verse one: not many of you should become teachers. Because folks like this end up in a compound outside of Waco. That's not a joke. Like, that happened while I was there. I mean, th- these are the things that, that, where this leads. And so I, I just want to, I just want to, you know, point us away from this to say, man, let, let's, let's, <laughs> let's buy into the truth that God says and not... Uh, you know, all of this other chaos. So back, so back to verse one. Not many of you should become teachers, brothers, for you know that we will, uh, that those who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. For those who step up and claim to speak on behalf of God, what are we met with? The weightiness of the responsibility to claim that that is the case. This is confession. Um, this is uh, it's a while ago now. The first probably three or four years. Um, then I was the pastor here. I didn't sleep much on Saturday night. I mean, I'd be in bed, but I didn't sleep much. Because I had, I, I had been preaching more or less since I was 18, but like, it wasn't the preaching part. It was just the responsibility that I felt in this. And knowing that James 3.1 is reality. Not many of you should become teachers. Those who step up to claim to speak on behalf of God will have to have a conversation with him about what they said on his behalf. Not many of you should become teachers. And I just want to put a little parenthesis here. This is one of those places where I'm trying to paint the opposite for you. Um, is to say, not many of you should become teachers, but maybe some of you should. Maybe some of you God has gifted. Maybe some of you God has called. Maybe some of you in these couple of rows right here, younger folks, or maybe other places around, maybe God has called you um, to do this. And what would that look like? What would it be like? Well, 
It would be like you having a moment where you just know that God is at work in you to do something. There is something internal. For me, just my story, a little autobiography, uh, my story is I was sitting at a camp um, and the church that I grew up in was pretty highfalutin. The sermons were highfalutin. They lived up here. I lived down here, still lived in here. They were up here. Um, and, and for me, uh, this guy named Steve, I can tell you, like he preached on Philippians 4.13, I can almost recite the entire sermon uh, b- because of the power that it had. And what I did is I looked down in a little eighth grader and and said, if I could ever help somebody understand the Bible like that cat just helped me understand the Bible, I would really love to do that. That was the internal, like, thing that clicked inside of me. And then there's an external part that says, hey, there are people around you who go, yeah, we can see you doing this, or have you ever considered whatever it may be? There's, a, there's kind of confirmation, if you will, by the church. With great power comes great responsibility. Not many of you should be teachers, but maybe some of you should. Maybe God is raising up some of us uh, to do this. Not many, but some. Okay, so that, that's, that's the power. That's the power of communication, of the tongue. Verse In the middle of verse 5. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast um, and bird or reptile, sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, there bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. This is where we are here because we've dealt with the power. Now let's deal with the problem. And there is a problem. Look at how he describes it. First of all, it's fire. How great a forest is set ablaze uh, by, by such a small fire. <laughs> and the tongue is fire. And then look how he does a world of unrighteousness. Instead of the genuine goodness of God at work in me to produce good in the world, a world of unrighteousness, like the opposite of that. Darkness rules and it expresses itself in this way. Uh, and it goes, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Anybody ever worked with wood and you, you, you forgot to wear gloves and you went to stain it? And then like... You look, you're like, strangely, I'm maple ash. And you, you know, and you go to scrub it, and guess what? It doesn't come off, and paint thinner doesn't take it off. And these are like, except you have now taken a whole bath in it. You have stained your entire life with this. Staining the whole body. Setting on fire the entire course of your life. Meaning like you are going to burn your life down through your words. And we don't have to look very far. I mean, you, you think about example after example after example who uh, in, in a person's life, maybe it was a terrible moment, maybe it was a moment of revelation of their character, maybe it was they, they caught it on video and it got posted to the web and poof, there it goes. And what happened? They burned down their entire life. Friendships are gone. Jobs are gone. Income is gone. Uh, uh, they, they had to move to a different area. Like they just burned down their life. Maybe it's not all of that. Maybe it sounds like this. Well, I was just joking. Maybe it sounds like, well, I mean, I I know that's what I said, but I didn't mean it. Or maybe it sounds like, fine then. I just, my grandma said, if I don't have anything to say, I won't say anything at all. 
I just won't say anything at all. Either way, it's the burning, the destruction of that. Instead, um, again, here's a positive way. The opposite of that would be Ephesians 4.29. Go look it up later, but here's what it says. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The communication that you give, don't don't let it be unwholesome, but instead, um, let it be good. Let, Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but instead, let it be good. Let it be edifying. Let it build up and give grace to those who hear it. Instead of things tearing stuff down, instead of things burning down, instead of the way that I communicate or the things that I communicate or to whom I communicate, instead of burning it all down, um, let it instead be, a, be building up. I get to, through the words that I say, think about this in your marriage. Think about this with your kids. Think about this with that really difficult coworker. What if God wanted to use your mouth to be a conduit of grace to your spouse, to your kid, to your coworker, to whomever? This is what the opposite could be. Instead of destructiveness, we could be people who build up. Uh, and then it, look again in verse uh, 7. Every kind of beast, bird, reptile, sea creature, it can be tamed, it has been tamed, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Full of deadly poison. Isn't that good? That's just, yeah, yeah. It's not. Uh, Maybe it sounds like this. I'm sorry that you were offended by my honesty. That's like my get out of jail free card for being rude. Um, uh, Or the the poison would be more manipulative than that. This is the one. um, Don't you think that? And then you you fill in the blank. Hey, don't you think that? And you're like, no, I don't think that at all. Or people... Um, ask for confirmation that, that you think the way that they do, by, in, they'll make the statement, hey, da-da-da-da-da, right? And you're like, no, wrong, that's terrible. Who thinks like that? Why would you say that? What kind of dumb thing? They ask for confirmation. It's that kind of manipulation. It's poison. Um, he, here is, uh, we'll talk about the opposite in just a second. Here is a letter, this is just an example in history, in a letter and how poisonous it can be. Do not think, this is from a, a dad to a son, do not think that I'm going to take the trouble of writing to you long letters after every failure you commit and undergo. I no longer attach the slightest weight to anything you may say about your own acquirements and exploits. If you cannot prevent yourself from leading the idle, useless, unprofitable life you have had during your school days and later months. You will become a mere social wastrel. I don't know if you got that one in your pocket, but go ahead and stick that one in your pocket for uh, like one of those insults that you want to throw out. You're a social wastrel. I just think that's crazy. You'll become a mere social wastrel, one of the hundreds of the public school failures, and you will degenerate into a shabby, unhappy, and futile existence. If that is so, you have to bear all the blame for such misfortunes yourself. Your mother sends her love. That's jacked right there. I mean, that's full on crazy. Can you imagine? Ding. You open your email. This is what's there. This is not email time frame. Early 20th century. Anybody, any, just one guess, one guess as to who might be going to. It's Churchill. It's Churchill. Randolph Churchill to the son, Winston. This is pre-World War II. 
This is pre-Gallipoli and all the stuff that happened, pre-election of parliament, pre-all of that kind of stuff. And you think, well, yeah, but he overcame. That's exactly right. He overcame. But what if, what could his life have been? What could his life have been if he didn't have to overcome this or always work to please his dad? Like, what could it have been had this not happened? And, by the way, your mother sends her love. So the opposite of this is Colossians 4, verse 6. Let your speech, Paul says to the church, let your speech be seasoned with grace like salt. Like, it's just flavored everywhere that you speak, the places where you communicate. You're going to go to lunch. Think about where you will communicate around the table. Think about the person who's going to serve you if you're going to a restaurant. What, what, what would it look like if your speech were seasoned with grace like salt? What, what would it look like um, this afternoon, post-Sunday afternoon nap, all this kind of stuff, um, and, and you've got to get the kids to do their homework? What would it look like if in that moment, in that conversation, your speech were seasoned with grace like salt? What would Tuesday's meeting look like? Or or Wednesday's phone call? What would it look like? Let your speech be seasoned like it was with salt. Last thing is duplicity. Um, In verse uh, 9, with it, we bless our Lord and Father. With it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Um, Blessing is... um, the, the Greek compound word is to speak well of. We get our word eulogy from it. Cursing is the opposite of that. It is to condemn or to mark as useless. So with it, we speak well of, and with it, we say, nah, you're useless. Your mother sends her love, but you're useless. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers and sisters, these things ought not be so. And then he gives these examples. A spring, does it pour forth fresh and salt water? No. Uh, can a fig tree bear olives? A grapevine produce figs? No. Neither uh, can a salt, water, uh, a salt pond produce fresh water. These are the examples he gives. It is diagnosing and revealing the duplicity. Why? Because there are things that I try to present. There are things that I try to put out there. There are things that I try to say are right and true about me. But my communication betrays that. If there is darkness in here, it will come out. If there is insecurity in here, it will come out. If there is frustration in here, it will come out. If there's bitterness in here, it will come out. If there's anger in here, it will come out. Why? Because these things are inside of me and my communication reveals that no matter what I may say in my best moment, there are still things that need to be dealt with in my worst. Jesus said it this way. Again, same passage, Matthew chapter 12. Just look at this. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the problem, I mean, these are problems. The things that come out of my mouth, these are the problems. But but really, what, what, what do I know to be true? That this is just part of the problem. Where's the rest of it? Where's the main problem down in here? It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Yes, for every careless word, I'm going to give an account. And so I better do the work that, it's, that needs to get done to deal with what's in here. And so some people say, well... Again, I'll just pull back. I just won't talk. I just won't communicate to anybody except those who get me. I just want to jerk all this stuff. Just pull the flaps, jerk the throttle. I'm out. I don't want to talk to anybody. And this is like, 
this is not a good plan. There may be moments where you have to restrict what you say. We all probably should do a little bit more of that at times. Restrict what you type, post, text, whatever it may be. But the remedy is not in the restricting of the tongue. The remedy is in the renovation of the heart. And folks, this is what Jesus has been sending us to. It is what James has been pointing us to all throughout the text. All of the practical stuff, all of the little bit higher flying things, all of that is true. That The external things that we could conform ourselves to are not going to get it done. What has to happen is there has to be a renovation on a much, much deeper level. It's not a matter of going home, ripping a piece of duct tape and just slapping it over your mouth. It's a matter of renovating the heart because it's out of the abundance of the heart, the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so our best play, like the way that we need to deal with this is to let Jesus do his renovating work. Where? In our hearts. Because if he gets our hearts, he gets the rest of us too, including the things that we communicate. Our best work is to surrender. This is what he's going to say next week to us in James chapter 4. It's the, the best thing that we can do is just submit ourselves to God. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, you're not a follower of Jesus watching online, I want you to know the very best thing that you could do to help with your marriage, to help with your kids, to help with your communication at work, to help with all of this stuff, the very best thing you could do is to give your life to Jesus today. Receive the forgiveness that he purchased for you on the cross. Receive the new life that he uh, guarantees to you because of his resurrection. And for if you are a follower of Jesus in here, to to surrender to him, to submit to him looks like, okay, God, we're going to take a moment here and I'm going to ask, is there a sector of my life that is just out of sync with you, out of step with you? And if so, I want to bring that into alignment with who you are. Would Would you show me? so that I can bring it, into, bring, it, bring it under your lordship so I can submit it to you. I'm going to offer a prayer for us and give you a moment to do exactly that. Maybe you need to give your life to Christ today. If so, I'll be at the back and you want to have a conversation about that. I would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus. If you need prayer for something else, there'll be some folks back there. But if you've got something in your life where you need to surrender, this is that moment. Let me pray. We'll start there. Would you join me? Father, um, thank you for these words from James. They are challenging. They are packed with challenge. And I I pray um, that what we've heard today The, the things that we are experiencing today as you speak through your word. That they would be shaping. We do not want to come in and leave the same people. We want to be changed. And so, Holy Spirit, put your finger on any place in our life that, that uh, needs your renovating work. Help us to change the things that are inside be a part of the transforming power that, that shapes us into the image of Jesus so that our lives are different, so that our communication is different. Do, do what you want to in us and make us who you want us to be. We, we give you all of this now.
In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen, Amen. Again,